Did you know that uh, three years ago, or three years and one day ago, uh, New South Wales declared its first lockdown? Today, three years ago, the Ruby Princess arrived back in Australia and a, about a thousand people got COVID. Australia closed its borders and we all learned a lot about germs that week. Uh, you could probably, by the end of this week, three years ago, start telling me your, your top five tips for hand washing. 20 seconds in between the fingers, sanitize between washes. Um, we all spent time thinking about how we can wash away germs, uh, quite a lot over the, the last three years, really. And you might have heard in the Bible, as the Bible was read, that it, it was a big deal for people back then, the idea of properly washed hands. These Jew, Jewish leaders had traveled all the way from Jerusalem to confront Jesus about his kind of hand-washing practices. What's different about them to us is that we suddenly became um, concerned with washing hands because we, we wanted to know how do we wash away germs. For them, it was about washing away sin. These Pharisees kind of had their uh, traditions around hand washing as a purification ritual. And in some ways, that's actually a more important question. I wonder how much time you've spent thinking over the last three years of how to, how to be clean before God. Uh, the question the Pharisees bring is, it's foreign to us, but as Jesus argues against the hand-washing rituals here, he draws us right to the heart of that question. How, how do we be clean before God? And he, in doing that, he, he warns his hearers against human-centered, outward-focused religion, and, and he takes the discussion from, from a question about their kind of traditions to the level of authority and truth and dives deeper again to the, to the level of the heart and deeper again to the very nature of the human heart. And so that's where we, we headed as we follow Jesus' argument. I hope you didn't shut off when you heard that it's, uh, when we read about kind of ancient Jewish rituals. I hope you'll come with me on, on the journey as Jesus unpacks um, deeper and deeper into uh, the, the question, how do we get clean before God? Now, the, the clash begins at the level of truth versus authority, the level of authority. Jesus warns that kind of following the traditions of those around you won't make you clean. And there's a bit going on in this first section. I, it'll take us a moment to see, but because it's a bit foreign to us, it's a discussion about ritual handwashing, about Kulban law. So we need to do a bit of digging into Jewish tradition to see what's going on here. Um, at the time of Jesus, there was this something called halakhic tradition, uh, which was a set of laws on top of the, the laws of Scripture. Basically, a collection of the teachings on law that, ha that was passed down between the various rabbis and grew and grew over time. Um, they sought to clarify exactly what the Old Testament means. Uh, as an example, the, the Old Testament states that a priest should wash his hands and feet to purify himself before entering the temple. But people might ask, if that's how they can get clean, well, maybe I can do the same thing if I'm feeling unclean before God. And so halakhic tradition kind of has an entire tractate on, on hand washing, which includes detailed instructions about how the everyday person should wash their hands to purify themselves before God, even how much water they need to use to do that. And so that's where this question comes from that the, the, the Pharisees bring. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Uh, because those laws are kind of built up and up around kind of Old Testament teaching. 
But Jesus' issue here is that they'd come all the way from Jerusalem to challenge him on that. As if that's the thing that matters. Some laws passed down through the rabbis. Who cares? Who cares? Jesus' point was that they should be worried about what do the scriptures actually say? The Bible has so much to say about your heart and they ignore it. The Bible has so much to say about honoring your parents and they use their laws to kind of work around it. So Jesus doesn't respond to their question directly. He launches into a counterattack in verse 3. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? He points out that their raising up of this halakhic law, it actually at times not just kind of overrides, but completely undoes what the Scriptures are trying to do. He says, thus you nullify the Word of God for the sake of your tradition. So who cares what some rabbi says? Listen to what God says. One of the reasons that's really important for us is because because I'm up here in front of you now. I've I've thought hard about this passage this week. I've, I've wrestled with it. I've prayed through it. But there's a degree to which you could say, who cares? Who cares what I say? Unless... I'm pointing you to Scripture. Because I can tell you all sorts of things you should be doing. They might bind your conscience for a time. They might change the way that your week ahead looks. But unless it's what the Scriptures say, then who cares? And that's really important because I I want you to test my words against Scripture, to to see where this is coming from in God's Word, not just my thoughts for the day. When I say things like like it says in verse 20, I hope you'll look down in your Bibles and, and, and look with me. When I say things like, so the whole point of this thing is this. I hope you'll, you'll ponder that, wonder it with me. I hope you care so much about getting this right that you'll be ready to wrestle, to have a hard conversation and challenge me on it if you think I've read it wrong. Because Jesus' point here is, who cares unless I'm bringing you the Word of God? I think about Martin Luther. He was convinced that the church of his day had strayed from Scripture I put a quote there on your pages. Um, When he was put on trial under the threat of death and asked for a count, he said, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. And my prayer for our church is that we would be people who stand not on the word of Steve, not on the words of Paul, but who stand on the word of God. And that's Jesus' first warning to the Pharisees. Beware of honoring your tradition over the truth. Beware of following those around you at the cost of following God's law. But Jesus digs deeper from there. It's cutting already, but he moves from the level of authority to the level of the heart. Why is it that the Pharisees were so concerned with the traditions of the elders? Well, verse 7 um, Jesus takes it a step deeper. To the Pharisees who brought in the question, he says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Why is it that the Pharisees were so concerned with human traditions? Well, it's because in their hearts, it was humans that they were trying to impress. They put every effort into keeping up religious tradition because they wanted to be seen as the very religious people. And so Jesus condemns the Pharisees here for their their performative faith. 
And if your primary concern is how you are coming across to others, then you will obsess with all of the external rituals of religion, whether that's hand-washing rites or, or food cleanliness laws, or whether it's what words you should use when you pray, or who should take the last Tim Tam, or what clothes to wear to come to church. If your primary concern is how you're coming across to others, you will obsess about all the external rituals of religion. If your primary concern is how you stand before God, then it's your heart that you'll watch more closely. Now, to those mostly in this corner of the room, but nice to see you, you spread out a bit. You may know me mainly as the youth minister at church. Probably many of you know that my main role is with kids and youth. But can I share with you um, my greatest fear for kids and youth ministry? My, my greatest fear for you, for you guys here is that you would come up through our programs, learn a lot about Christian behavior and churchy experience and never be truly captured by the wonder of God's grace. That's what I pray for you, that that's what drives me to prayer, that God would do wonders in your heart. They wouldn't just learn to fit in, you wouldn't just learn to look like a really good Christian, but that you'd be captured by the wonder of God's grace. The Pharisees wanted people to look at them and think, wow, that they are, they are awesome, super, super religious people. How, how good is it that they always remember to wash their hands the right way? They, they follow all the Corban rules. Aren't they just kind of the, the super religious people? And I think that that kind of thinking is a real danger for you as well. To come through our programs and work out how to blend in, how to look like the best Christian without ever addressing the issues of your heart or of getting clean before God. And, and to, to the rest of the room too, I, I, I think it's just as easy for all of us. Uh, we don't grow out of that desire to, to fit in. Just as easy as to focus on how we look to those around us but Jesus' whole point in this whole endeavor is, is God doesn't look at you that way. God, God looks at the heart. God wants you to love him. God wants your heart to overflow with good out of the grace that you've been shown. Which takes us deeper a level again. Because if it's not about the external, well, what's, what's the heart of the matter? When it comes to being clean before God, the, the heart of the matter is this, that cleanliness is a matter of the heart. So Jesus warns the Pharisees that they can't be clean before God by their tradition. They can't be clean before God by their performance. And after all these warnings, he calls the crowd to himself and, and explains, um, it's, it's not what goes into the mouth that makes a person clean, but what comes out. And when the disciples ask him about it, Jesus explains in, it in verse 17. I'll read along with me. He says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And they used to file them. Uh, so what's, what's the logic of the argument there? That he's saying, don't be so concerned with things like hand washing or food rituals. Um, what's the logic of it there? Excuse the crassness of it, but to, to, he's kind of saying to, to think that this is what, what makes you clean when basically it's going to be poo tomorrow, right? That, that's what he's saying when he says, uh, what, comes, what goes into the mouth then comes out of the body. Uh, Jesus says that the things that come out of a person's mouth are a much better measure of what's in their heart. He says, an evil heart gives rise to evil thoughts which flow out of the mouth. And what he's talking about here, he's not talking about 
the well-rehearsed speeches of the Pharisees or, or when a person is on their best behavior on a show. He's talking about the unfiltered moments, when your guard is down, when your heart flows freely to your mouth. How do you speak to your family when no one else is around? When you're tired and you don't have the energy to filter your words, what flows out then? He says that's a much better, but that's a much better measure of the heart than whether or not a person has washed their hands. And Jesus' point is that actually, a lot of those moments are uglier than we like to admit. We're exposed in moments like that in ways we'd, we'd like not to be. Keep reading with me from verse 19. He says, "For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander." These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. The human heart is expert at producing all kinds of evil. Uh, you're not supposed to read this and think, oh yeah, those, those people with the evil hearts, those, those murderers, that this is Jesus diagnosing, diagnosing the condition of the human heart. The Pharisees, the disciples, mine, yours, out of the hearts heart comes evil thoughts and these are what defile a person it's not to say it's evil all the time but uh, all of us have had that capacity you might ask if it's if it's about our hearts why lead with murder like how many of us can relate to that as, as kind of a no, i mean maybe it is a, maybe it is something that's kind of risen out of your heart maybe you've maybe it's crossed your mind before but why not start with the more relatable it's like, it's like lying or temptation but he doesn't start lead with murder to excuse you as one of the good guys, if, if you never thought, it, thought to murder. He leads with it to show us what the heart is capable of. He's already said in the book in Matthew that he who is angry with his brother or sister is, is guilty as a murderer in their heart. Now, if you're feeling uncomfortable at this point, that means you've understood. To have a heart that is pure like Jesus is describing here, one that doesn't produce evil thoughts or flow out in defiled words, well, that's a much harder task than remembering to wash your hands a certain way. You can understand why the Pharisees would be offended. I'm putting all this effort into doing the right things. Are you telling me that that's pointless? You, you might feel defensive in a similar way. I'm putting all this effort into to doing the right things. Or on the other end of the spectrum, you, you might feel, you might hear this and, and feel defeated or helpless. If it's all about the heart, then how am I supposed to, to change? That's, that's a much harder thing to do. It was so much easier when we just had to wash our hands with extra water or something. Um, and this is where the rest of the, the gospel, the rest of the story becomes really important. Because not, not long after that, that Jesus turns towards Jerusalem and things start to move towards the cross, where everything begins to make sense. I'll put another quote on your outlines there from Titus chapter 2. Um, we're looking back on, on Jesus' achievements at the cross. He says, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And that's such great news because if, if you are feeling defensive, know that in Jesus there is no accusation that can stand against you. If you are feeling defeated or hopeless, know that Jesus gave himself to purify you. All that needs to be done has been done for you all that's left to do is to, to trust him to do that. Um, a friend of mine, I can't share all the details, but in short, some, some stuff happened early in her life that left her with feelings of shame and guilt and uncleanness. 
And these negative feelings had such a big psychological impact on her that they developed into clinical obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. And the way that it expressed itself for her was that she would get this overwhelming feeling of, of physical uncleanness. She wouldn't be able to think about anything else until she'd excused herself and gone and washed her hands. And this would happen many, many times a day to the point where it was debilitating. She'd, she'd always having to excuse herself and go and wash her hands. And she tells me, she's kind of come through it now, she tells me there were two things that helped her to overcome it. One was, the first was a whole lot, years of therapy, um, unpacking her past, but the second was a deep appreciation for the grace of God. The knowledge that spiritually her cleanness doesn't come from outside, it doesn't come from her past, that her cleanness comes from Jesus and cannot but come from Jesus. And so we've seen today that, um, that Jesus warns the Pharisees against honouring tradition over truth. He warns them against performative faith with, which obsesses with the external rituals and ignores the heart behind it. But he also warns us in trusting our own hearts that, that from the heart spring all kinds of evil and that leaves us with only one place to rest our assurance. The, the whole question that the disciples, that the Pharisees are raising is how do we get clean before God and that there's only one answer for that in Christ himself who himself has purified us. And so one helpful way to respond to a passage like that is to come before God in prayer, acknowledging our sin and asking him to make us clean. And so I'm going to put up on the screen a formal confession and, and if you feel comfortable, I'd love if you'd join me in saying this and then I'll continue in prayer and the band will come up then. So let us draw near to God with sincerity and confidence and pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for adopting us as your children and making us heirs of eternal life. In your mercy, you have washed us from our sins and made us clean in your sight. Yet we still fail to love you as we should and serve you as we ought. Forgive us our sins and renew us by your grace that we may continue to grow as members of Christ, in whom alone is our salvation. Amen. And God, we're so much like the Pharisees sometimes. We, we so easily get caught up in the way that things are rather than being shaped by your word. We so easily focus on how we'll be seen before others and not before you. And we know that our hearts are defiled by nature, but merciful God, we, we know that you are full of forgiveness. So would you grant to your faithful people pardon and peace, that they may be cleansed their sin and serve you with a quiet mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.